Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Rocky and Scripted, where we talk about faith when Sunday is over. Hey, last week we took a week off uh, because of a, a few things that had popped up, but we are bringing something really special to you today. This is something that I've been looking forward to for a while, and this may be my favorite episode we've ever done. We sit down with Sean Moyers, and the idea was we were going to ask him five top questions. However, I asked him about 10 or 11 thinking I was going to edit them down, and I left them all in because they're so good. We talk a little bit of politics, we talk leadership, we talk family, and we talk hope. This is such a hope-filled episode, and we are really happy to bring it to you guys. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode as we sit down with Sean Moyers and get to know more about what he's thinking and feeling and how he leads us. Let's listen. Sean, I've been looking forward to this podcast for a while. We talked about this from the beginning that we said every so often we could get off of our normal scheduled programming and uh, just have a few, I was about to say five questions. I don't know how many questions we're actually going (laughs) to end up including here because we just want to be a little bit more pointed and say, I want to know how Sean would answer this question. I want to know Sean better. I think it's great. And we've had a little bit of a crazy week, right? We came on yeah. staff retreat, had a blast, and it's just kind of nice to come in and just sit down and just have a real conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so before we, we get into the questions, I want to start with a question. And that is, there are people that are listening that uh, they may know you from stage. They may know you from watching online. They might not know you at all. But I'm just curious. I, I'd like to know the story. You, you're the lead pastor of our church right now. And I know a little bits and pieces of, of how you got to where you are. But when it comes to your profession, when it comes to what you basically said, I want to do this for the rest of my life, you chose to be a pastor. I and did. I, <laughs> I did. Just like, what was I thinking? No, it's good. I would love to know, was, was there a moment or, or when did you realize, I want to pursue being in full-time ministry as opposed to going and doing, you're a great leader, like you could have led anywhere. Huh. So what, what made you want to go towards the church? You know, what's, what's crazy about it, too, is, like, I've been around this thing since day one. Like, my dad was a pastor, and mm. sometimes you'd be like, okay, well, I had a great relationship with my dad, and probably that's that's part of the thing is, um, you know, growing up, church was a good thing. There's a lot of pastors, kids, that there's so many, so many right. expectations, so many difficulties. Man, that's a good thing. Mm. I I enjoyed the relationships, the fun, but one of the, I think probably more than anything, uh, my dad did a good job of uh, putting me in situations where I saw the positive of, of church. And I always wanted to be in some situation of leading people. And mm-hmm. I just love building teams, love being around teams, all of that. And I remember specifically, I would go work uh, church camps in the summer. And we, do you want to talk about it? There's a lot of people that have like horror stories of church camps. Yes, like they sure. go to these old, nasty camps. I grew up in Portland, Oregon area. Uh-huh. And our church camp, Wynema Christian Camp, was, um, if you imagine, so the Oregon coast is just beautiful, obviously. It was just gorgeous place our camp um he would come down off the mountains there was a lake then there was the camp and then there was the ocean right on the other side it was mm. one of those beautiful settings yeah. you could ever be in and it was a really nice camp and uh i remember my dad would lead all kinds of i mean he'd lead all ages of camps mm-hmm. and i'd be there half the summer and he would just bring in just some really really neat people people that were maybe in Bible college that were younger than also some pastors that uh, he knew in the area that just neat people. And I got to hang out um, with all of these people. I enjoyed the kids. It was a great opportunity to work these camps. But what I really enjoyed was hanging out with these adults. And I saw a lot of health. 
Um, I saw a lot of motivation mm-hmm. and I saw really good people that were making an impact. And so as a kid, I was just like, man, I, I don't know if it was as much. I want to go be a pastor. I wanted to be like those people. Gotcha. They were healthy, awesome, wonderful people and mm-hmm. influential people. And I said, man, if I could just, I want to be a little more like Jim Putman. Um, I want to be a little more like Jamal Ward. I want to be, and it's funny because my dad's a big sports guy. So a lot of these guys were sports people. And so it was something I connected with on yeah. a level of sports, but then on a level of leadership. And so I just kind of fell into that mold of, man, I like these people. I want to be like them. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time in college where I was like, man, I really love sports. I think I ought to be a coach or a teacher. And I almost went that direction. Mm-hmm. But the eternal significance of what we were doing, um, I was like, no, this is where I want want to be. That's and awesome. so that's, I guess that's the story right there. It was more, uh, my dad did a good job of helping me align with some really good people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be like those people. That's great that the, the influences that you saw, you actually wanted to go emulate. Yeah. And for, for some of us, the story is the opposite. Like, I want to avoid that because I don't want to end up like them. Yeah. That exactly. is really cool. That's yeah. powerful. My dad was an all right guy too. So <laughs> I wanted to be like him too, so that's good. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I beat him in wiffle ball this week. So oh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I feel we, we yeah. can bring him up as much as you want. There you go. Uh, so let's dive in. So these these questions are going to range from leadership stuff, personal stuff, uh, how you uh, grow, marriage, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so the idea is that we're getting your gut reaction right. Not necessarily something that we can give you ahead of time and you can go study and come up with the best <laughs> Christian. Right, I'm, I'm getting uncomfortable already here, man. <laughs> I come love on. it. Sunday morning, I love I'm it. prepared. I don't know about this. We know how you love to be vulnerable, so this is great. I'm looking <laughs> forward to this. All right, so we'll start with an easy one, okay? Uh, what are one or two of the most influential books you've read in the past six months? Can't be the Bible. Can't be the Bible. Because we be assume Bible. that. We assume that. That's all I read. You read? Oh, yeah, exactly. All right, all right, so what um, are one of the two uh, of the most influential books? Uh, I enjoy reading a lot. And I enjoy listening to a lot. There's a ton of books that I've, I've read this last year. Um, but I would say one book spiritually on a spiritual side that I just has been really influential is the book With. Okay. Uh, it's just, that's the name is With by Sky Jathani. And he talks about how we relate, interact, and interact with God. And he basically gives five ways in which people interact with God. Mm-hmm. That people relate to God. They want to do things for God. They relate to God by being under God, trying to follow all the rules um, over God. They don't have any place for God in their life, so they kind of put themselves over him. And then he just comes down. That's only three of them, but he comes down and basically the only way to really interact with God and to really grow in your faith is to do life with God Mm. um, on a daily basis. And I'm telling you, that book's been rocking my world. And so it's been been you Can you give us a glimpse why? Like why is it rocking your world? Um, because I think even in my personality and some of that, I'm, I'm, I'm driven, and so I want to achieve. And so even in my faith, so just very simply, even in my faith, I do things for God. Yeah. And the more that I do for God and the better I am, the more maybe God will bless me mm-hmm. and be pleased with me. And actually, the truth is, and what he talks about in the book is because of Jesus and my relationship with him, God could not be more pleased with me mm. than he already is. And he couldn't love me more. And so there's nothing I can do to achieve more. He's already forgiven me. He's already erased the consequences of sin in my life in the big perspective. And he says, why don't you just do life with me? And that's hard for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to figure out, of what does that actually mean? And how do I walk through life on an everyday basis and say, Jesus, I'm heading into this meeting. How are we going to do this together? What do you want that's good. from me today? And so that's that has been 
a great one. The other one too is, uh, you know, we've all been through a crazy last uh, 20, 18 to 24 months. And uh, one of the best books, and I have read it before, um, but I read it again, is called Leadership Pain uh, by yeah. Sam, Sam Chand. And I'm listening to that one, run, one right now. Dude, isn't it good? It's good. I mean, I'm only in chapter one. Yeah. I mean, just that idea of that even your leadership will never rise above the level of your pain tolerance. Yeah. And, and it's really true that um, if you're going to lead something, you're going to undergo difficulty, failure, pain, difficulty, all of that. And it's a reality of life. So how do you prepare for it? How do you deal with it? How do you walk through it? So how do you decide if you're going to read a book or listen to an audio book? Mm. Okay. Um, sometimes I do both. So okay. <laughs> I kind of double up and sometimes spend more money than I should on that, right? Mm -hmm. I, I buy both. And so usually what I do is I actually start with audio. And I've got a su subscription to Audible, so I get a free book a month anyways. And then I'll buy other books and... I'll but the ones that I really dive into, like that one, that I'm going, oof, those ideas are good, then I buy the book. Gotcha. Because yeah. then you can underline and all that yeah, kind of and stuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying it on it. Kindle or whatever. Yeah. I'm buying it to where I am writing it. Old school. I'm, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Okay. What do you wish you could tell yourself in your 20s? <laughs> a lot of things. <laughs> a whole lot of things. Okay. Yeah. Don't ask my wife. She has a whole lot of things. She yeah, she's got a lot of things. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you better um, tell him this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would tell myself in my twenties, uh, care a whole lot more about health than you do about results and about growth. And I I mean growth can be associated with health, right? You know, the healthy we are, we're growing in our life. I'm talking about more the idea of results. Um, just being a driven person, man, I think I spent so many years just trying to achieve, trying to uh, get to a next leadership opportunity and position and that. And man, I just, I go back to and look at my relationships were not as deep as I would like for them to have been. Mm -hmm. um, there were probably some people that got hurt by some of the things in leadership that we, and we accomplished some really good things together. But I just look back and say, man, I don't know if I like how we accomplished that. Gotcha. And so I wish I could go back in my 20s and spend spend my 20s really trying all kinds of opportunities. Mm -hmm. There's a guy named, uh, there's a person named Bobby Clinton that's got a book that talks about the generations, like generationally in your life. Um, not, it just takes your life by decades and says in your 20s, you try everything you can. Learn what you're good at. In your 30s, um, you've found out a little bit more of what you're good at and what you're not. And so you, you start applying yourself to those things that you're good at. Um, you get a lot of practice in your 30s. In your 40s, you've kind of figured out what you do really well, and so you assert yourself and mm -hmm. you get after it. It talks about in your 50s, you're usually like the most successful is what you do in those. And then in your 60s and 70s, you turn around and you coach other people. Gotcha. You got this look like you're going to say something. I was going to say, I'm, I'm like, you're, you're getting really close to that decade of uh, being the best at oh, <laughs> what I know, you can do. I know, I'm turning you're only 47. A few years, yeah, exactly. Hopefully I'll fulfill that. We'll see. But <laughs> I, but the thing I wish I could go back and do is realize that all of that is so much more enjoyable and so much more fruitful when we figure out the unhealthy places in our life and we address them. I think a lot of people go through life and they hide those unhealthy places, try to bury them instead of having, instead of really diving into the idea of self-awareness and just saying, where, where do I struggle and how can I grow in that? And, uh, and then just, man, aligning yourself with people, healthy people that can say, um, here's where you need to grow and mm -hmm. how can I help you?
I, I wish, I think, <laughs> I really wish I could go back and tell myself that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So this question is connected to the last one. What life lesson did you have to learn the hard way? Hmm. Uh, I think that is probably attached to uh, some stuff we already talked about, but I think that everybody has blind spots. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you need to, to look for them. And, just, and probably self-awareness is just that, man, it's, it's, it's a key that unlocks so many things in life. And so I think I just not knowing that to be, and so being driven enough that you're going at such a fast pace, yeah. uh, that would be a thing is slowing down to, to be able to see yourself the way other people see you. You know, we've talked about that before. Uh, Andy Stanley's got a great question of what's it like to be on the other side of me. And I just wish I could sit, sit down and uh, learn that lesson earlier to start asking that question. Say and, that again. We, I think we've said that in another podcast, but that is such a huge question. Yeah, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Yeah. And, um, and I remember in my marriage where we finally got to that part of, of being, I began to look at that and saying, okay, here are my blind spots and here how, how it affects Jen. Um, being able to do that around here, here are my blind spots, here's how it's affecting my team. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw a quote about self-awareness, and I thought it was so good. It, it was self-awareness doesn't keep you from making mistakes. It just allows you to learn from them. That's and, good. and become better. We don't fix blind spots immediately. We mm -hmm. just get better and better as we go. Yeah. Yeah. And by definition, our blind spot is something that we can't see. So it's exactly. really, it's impossible to fix unless there are those people that are saying, this is what it's like to be on the other side of you. Yeah. And you want, you want a difficult, or you want a healthy but risky conversation, mm -hmm. ask somebody to tell you what your blind spots are. I don't think I want to ask that <laughs> no, question. No, yeah. but I mean, that's a risky conversation. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in, in a counseling session with my wife and uh, I had preached on blind spots and my counselor looked at him and so he was, he listened to my message that weekend oh, and he no. says, Hey, why don't we just do something right now? How about you guys? Uh, let's talk about blind spots. Why don't you share each other's blind spots? It was a difficult conversation that led to one of the best conversations that we've ever had. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm. I had a conversation uh, I, with some of my coworkers. We did. We went through that exercise. Yeah. And the conversation was probably 12, 13 years ago, and I still remember exactly <laughs> what they said. Yeah. And it's and it's helped inform how I lead now. Mm. Uh, doesn't mean I've got it completely buttoned up and figured out, but uh, I I take that you know with with caution when I go into stressful. Situation. And isn't that a, a, interesting how emotions submit memories in your mind? 100%. Yeah. That moment had some emotion to it. Yep. Submitted a, a memory. How do we just take those to the right places? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. How do you handle stress? How do I handle stress? You know, I don't handle stress well when I'm not sleeping well. Okay. That is one thing for me. Um, we know it around my house. <laughs> um, it's like dad needs a nap uh, kind of gotcha. thing. If I'm not sleeping well, I don't handle stress well. Um, and then if I'm not exercising, I don't han handle stress well. Either. Okay. So I enjoy those two things. I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy sleeping and exercising. <laughs> no, I, I need to get sleep, but I enjoy getting stress out by exercising. So I play basketball, uh -huh. enjoy that, and then uh, also go to the gym a little bit and and enjoy that too. Yeah. So this one, next one's a little bit more difficult. How much can you bench press? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. You don't have to say yeah. that. Okay. Uh, good. You good. don't have to answer that. I don't embarrass uh, myself. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple people on staff that I I require them to answer it just because because <laughs> it's like I gotta know. I gotta yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and what okay. you're saying is I am not one of them. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share what, what no, you can no, no. Okay. <laughs> no. okay. This is similar to a question I asked earlier, but uh, just a little bit more specific. And uh, it, and that is, if you could speak to yourself after you were newly married, mm. what advice mm. would you give? Uh, learn how to deal with conflict. Okay. Yeah, within marriage. Yes, within marriage. Learn how to deal with conflict. Um, because we... Uh, we're very strong personalities, the two mm-hmm. of us, and uh, we have learned, uh, and I'll, I'll be honest, and Jim will say this too, we have learned recently, like in the last five years, how to deal with that. Now, we have been married 22. Yeah, that's awesome. And and that's awesome, mm-hmm. but if you do the math right there, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's like, ooh, yeah, yeah and, and there's, there were, they're just, um, there were things about our personalities and things about blind spots is didn't know how to deal with it, mm-hmm. how to deal with conflict, how to really how to communicate within difficult, intense situations. And man, I would say to any couple, um, get some counseling, right? Yeah. Get a counselor, get a coach, get um, a couple who the sooner will, the better, huh? Sooner the better that can sit down and not just listen to your issues, but ask hard questions about them. Yeah. And then give you constructive advice. And and I found you know there's a lot of people you'll talk to that will listen, hear your emotion, pat you on the back, but not dig into you mm-hmm. and say, no, 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 that's not normal. I remember the first time our counselor looked at me and said, do you think that's the way relationships really work? I'm like, well, yeah, kind of right. And he's like, no, 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 that's not normal. And then being able to turn around and say, hey, let's give you some rules mm-hmm. um, that will help you with conflict. And man, we applied some rules and I give, give some to you, but we applied some rules to our relationship and it was like within not days, not weeks, but within months, it was like, you're going, this is a different relationship. I'd love to hear some of those rules. Okay. So, um, one simple rule was, uh, and I've, I've shared these before, but, um, it's, it's my turn. So, or maybe we say it's your turn. So Mm -hmm. whoever's turn it is like when conflict comes up and somebody brings it up, it's their turn. Gotcha. Like it is my turn. Uh, so if Jen brings it up, what my job is, is to listen to understand. It is her turn. I cannot, because my problem was defensiveness. Yeah. So she, she brings something up and I'm immediately rolling in my mind. I'm not even listening to the rest of the conversation. I'm giving all, I'm going through all the reasons I'm going to tell her why this is wrong or I'm right. Or, and my counselor was like, no, it is her turn. You listen and you ask questions till you understand um, and you watch, as soon as she knows you understand, the conflict will dissipate. The The energy will dissipate mm-hmm. in that conflict, and you'll all of a sudden have an understanding, and you can move forward. So that was one. Mm-hmm. Um, another one was uh, any discussion that you have that's heated, uh, it cannot last more than 30 minutes. Interesting. Any, okay. Anything over 30 minutes will lead to two hours, three hours, stop, have to come back, no, it's if we go to 30 minutes, we can't get a resolution here, or at least we're going to agree to disagree, or we're going to come to some point where we're okay. Um, then we've got to push pause and we'll come back later. Mm. And that changed the game. It changed the game too of just putting a time frame. So, what does that look like? So, you're in an argument and you notice, look at the clock, watch, whatever, yeah. that you hit 30 minutes. What does that look like as far as the timeout? Um, well, at the beginning, it was like, it was almost like this defense mechanism. You know, we've come out of counseling. It was like, that's 30 minutes, you know, and I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm I was not saying. talking to you anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. Kind of I could see it. We could, you could use it as a power move. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it had to be for the sake of, it, it was, 
it was thinking about the heart and the emotions of the other person. Like, mm-hmm. I want this to be good. Yeah. And so it, Jen was really, honestly, she was better at it than I was at the beginning, honestly, because I'm just, I'm an all-in guy. She would say sometimes I'm like a bull, bulldog. I just, I just keep coming. I just can't, I yeah. won't stop. And, uh, and she, she would be very good. She'd say, hey, I really want us to figure this out, but I think we're coming to that time frame. So could we take a break? And when do you want to come back? Mm-hmm. So the key was, could we take a break? I want it to be better. We're coming to we're coming to the end of this rule right here, the time frame. But when can we come back? It wasn't like we're stopping and we're not coming back. It yeah. was we decided when we were going to come back and mm-hmm. chat. And so those those were just good. The other the other thing. So I I'm think, curious though, when you do come back, is it a different tone? Is it a different temperature? Man, and it, it totally for me, because I would do that anyways. Yeah. Sometimes I would be, we would argue and be angry, and then I'd go away, and my, I'd kind of come to my senses on something, and I'd, oh, man, I think I said too much. I hurt her feelings. And anytime you go, you know how that goes. When you're arguing about something for 45 minutes, an hour, or it goes beyond, you're saying things you wish you could take back. Yeah. And there would be even sometimes in the moment we say, hey, I think we need to pause because I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty frustrated about this. I'm afraid I might say something I just wish I wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. So can we come back? I would notice when I come back, you're right. Yeah. I would come back with a different heart and be able to ask questions and understand. It is amazing that I'll find myself in the middle of an argument. It's heated. And in that moment, I know I could, I'm thinking there's no way that I'm going to apologize for this because she is 100% wrong. I'm 100% right. And that's, that's my stance. Yeah. And then over time, I, I believe that less and less. Yeah. And it's so much easier later when things have cooled off to be like, Hey, in, in, even if I still have a point, be like, I can see your point now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry for that. Yeah. It's so much easier. That's, that's, that's brilliant. So that's the second rule. Is there a, another one? You know, the, the other ones, I don't know if they were actually rules. They were more like just ideas. Yeah. Um, counselor used this idea that really resonated with me, not as much with Jen, but it really resonated with me. It was the idea of, um, uh, he used the idea of two gates and he and he was, he just even drew it out on the board and he, he put, um, understanding on one and he put agreement on the other and he said what you guys are fighting for mm-hmm. is agreement and you need to understand that that doesn't happen always in life and leadership and whatever you no kidding you don't always agree with each other but understanding is the gate you need to be walking through yeah and so if you will come to understanding you actually sean you understand where she's coming from and jen you understand where sean's coming from you'll watch the intensity the feelings frustration it'll disappear and then you can work maybe when you have to on things work towards some agreement Mm -hmm. but understanding always comes first that is a huge leadership thing dude it changed the game for me more more than even her it was for me it was like i get it i'm always wanting her to agree with me yeah but i'm not willing to always go there and try to understand her and this is my word i don't know if the counselor would agree or you would agree but I would guess that if, if agreement's not possible, um, if you did understand each other, then you could, and I'm thinking leadership-wise, you could probably find alignment more easily. Yeah, that's So great it's like, okay, we're, we're on the same team here. Yes. We disagree maybe, but we understand each other, and now it's a little easier to be like, we can, we, we can agree to go in one direction. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's huge. And I think, I think those were the main ones for sure. So That's awesome. That was rich. Okay. What leadership challenge have you faced and worked through recently? Mm. Oh, man, I, 
I think we'd all sit here and say there's been so many challenges. I think uncertainty. The leadership challenge I think we've probably all gone through over the last 18 months is is uncertainty. And I've said this quote, it's not my quote, it's actually a quote from Alan Algram, our, our former lead pastor, founding pastor of the church. He said, Un- uncertainty is exhausting. Mm. And I think it is. You live in that moment, those moments of just uh, decision fatigue. We're all trying to make decisions and figure out what's the next steps, how are we managing all the difficulty of, of the last 18 months and the uncertainty of a pandemic and everything else leading through that has been, has been difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the, I don't know if I have any great answers. I do know that I'm not as exhausted as I thought I would be. And, and I do look back and you know, we talked about that idea of health. I've been working a lot over the last two or three years on just personal health, relational health, being around the right people and also just realizing, man, I don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and there's a lot better answers around me with people. Yeah. So how do we do this together? And I think that's one of the, the things that has been helpful for me during, during this last 18 months is, is in the uncertainty, really leaning into um, the relationships that I have that are strong, that are healthy, the mentors that I have. So I, I think you, you would ask a lot of people who are the mentors in your life um, it's a sad thing when people step back and have to really think about those yep. and they can't just name two or three of those off really quickly. And we all have mentors of people we read, but I'm talking about mentors of people who read you. Mm-hmm. Like they're close enough to you that they yeah. know the deep things in your life and they know when you say something, whether that's really true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, those And, and I don't know if I could say that um, a few years ago, but I can now. And not just that, but also friends. And then we've worked hard on having a team. Um, you guys, our lead team, man, I'm so, so thankful and proud. And uh, we've worked through some things. You guys have helped me. You've helped me accountable to some of the growth things we've been working mm-hmm. through too. And so I, I think leading through uncertainty has been difficult. But when you lead through uncertainty with people that you're deep in the trenches with and you trust and you want to be there with and you're excited to come do those things with, it's not as hard as people think it is. It's hard, mm-hmm. but man, it's fulfilling. I, I came away from the retreat <laughs> and I said to Jen, I said, man, I'm exhausted, but I'm full. Yeah. And uh, it's because of the relationships that we have. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I think one thing you've done for our staff and then for the church is you've brought certainty into the uncertainty, meaning for the staff saying, uh, and I don't know how you worded it specifically, but words I'd put on it is like, let's let's keep our eyes focused on what's most important. Mm-hmm. Let's keep serving people. Children's, children's ministry, we don't totally know how we're going to do, uh, get the kids in the classroom and masks and, and all that stuff and keep everyone safe. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. Let's not lose sight of people. How do we serve people well? How do we still lead people in worshiping God? How do we still focus on the yeah. gospel? How do we still baptize people? And I think for the staff, things that felt so complicated and uncertain all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, you just brought us back to what we're called to yeah. and what we're passionate about and what we know we can do. And uh, I think that brought certainty mm. to the uncertainty. Yeah. And in our culture right now, it's not like things are getting more and more certain, <laughs> right? No. So no. it's just a constant coming back to that. You know, yeah. I think there was one thing that we we did, I think, that and maybe some encouragement from other people, watching some other people, how they were leading through to I think one of the things that we want to do is not react 
to everything so quickly um, in the midst of the pandemic or even, I'll be honest, man, there's diff- there's been so many things over the last year, not just a pandemic, but some of the racial things, some of the political things, all of that. You know, you sit in our position and there's people, people want to hear what we have to say about those things. Yeah. And there's that tension of, man, we need to get out there and communicate and help people navigate this. But I always felt the tension. I felt sometimes people were jumping in so fast in the middle of the uncertainty and feeling like they needed to speak just to have a voice. When I'm going, I don't even know what to speak to yet. Yeah. Like, I think we almost need to sit and pray through and listen through and learn through some of this and then speak through mm-hmm. through it. And uh, I noticed some people really got bit by that, that they were out so quickly just to have a voice. And I think we wanted to say, hey, let's be clear. Um, and so we might have to wait a little bit yeah. before we communicate. Let's be calm, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then if we're going to say something, let's try to make it compelling and say something that's really true. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that helped us. We weren't always first to the table with something to say, but when we came to the table, I hope, I hope we had something to say that, um, had some understanding behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I think it's the difference between, uh, reacting and responding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that especially the temptation, we, it's natural for us to react, whether it's our kids or our, you know, any scenario. And I think people want us to react. Give yes. me something now. Yes. And uh, like you said, it bites you when you actually realize, I just reacted, but that's not even really what I think. Yeah. That's not what I believe. That's not what's best. Mm-hmm. So giving your, yourself time to respond. I think there are some emergencies that have to be dealt with sure. immediately. But I think as leaders... I think sometimes we we don't realize that time is actually um, it's on our side. Yeah. Like we can actually pause and wait and get counsel and discuss. I mean, we would sit down, we would have conversations with the six of us in our on our lead team, mm-hmm. and then say we need to go ask some other people too. Yeah, and that helped us. All right, totally changing gears. Okay, uh, what is your most embarrassing but favorite snack? <laughs> My most embarrassing man. I don't have an. Em- embarrassing snack i don't think i have an embarrassing snack my i'll tell you my go-to lately that if i keep doing this uh, um almond m M&M, and m's are okay. like my thing those are and, like the healthy m and m's dude but when i go when i go i i can't just get the little size right i'm like i gotta get the big bag this is where it gets embarrassing yeah because okay. i've been in moments or i've been in uh like retreats or whatever when there's a bunch of cookies there's a bunch <laughs> of sweets and I was talking to your dad about this, that you are very disciplined in general. But sometimes in these retreats, I look over, it's like, there were used to be six cookies right there. Where did Sean ate all six of those cookies, plus two full-size Kit, Kit Kat bars and, and all that kind of stuff? It's impressive what you can put away. Dude, when we went to that lead, lead team retreat and had the crumble cookies. Crumble cookies. I think I did eat half of that box. It may have been more than six. <laughs> when you cut them up into quarters, they just go down. Okay, this is feeling embarrassing. It's a little embarrassing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I've got some emba- embarrassing snacks, yeah. uh, but see, you're you like the almond M and M's. It's like <laughs> the healthy M and M's. Okay, um, how do you protect your family from the challenging parts of your role as a lead pastor? That's a good question, and I think it can be hard not only as um, a pastor, but then as I said, I was I was a pastor's kid. Yeah, right. And church was man was our our entire life growing up. It was kind of sports and church and. And uh, Jen's been super helpful. She grew up in the church, but she wasn't a pastor's kid either. Mm-hmm. And so we've just really... So she could probably sniff out if it's like, that's weird right there. That's a weird church, there have been, church kid thing. And not necessarily that that's weird. 
but maybe it was that's different. And I don't, and so she would question some things. Mm-hmm. And so we have, um, you know, my parents, I had a great growing up, um, for sure. But I, I do know there was times where it, like, it was, we're going to do this because, you know, my dad's the pastor. And, yeah. and so what have we tried to do? And I know that, um, there are moments where I've pushed harder than I should. Um, but she's been a great, um, help with that to say, Hey, are we requiring them to do this? Because it's going to be a, a great thing for them, great experience for them. Or are we requiring them to do this because of what you do? And if it's ever because of what I do, it's a, whoa, I need to back off. And so I'll be honest, you know, I've got an oldest. She has uh, such good community. She's 18. She's seen her in high school. She's got great community as far as some of the kids she grew up with. And we had homeschooled her up until high school. And, uh, and she's got great community in her basketball stuff that she has. And so at the time when she was younger, mm-hmm. she was in middle school, we probably weren't hitting on all cylinders with youth ministry and it wasn't the greatest experience for her. And I remember being like, Hey, she, she should go to youth groups and, mm. and mom going, Hey, we need to let her make that choice. And man, I, I'm so proud of the kid of where she is in her faith and, and right now and just growing. But honestly, it's been because of other relationships in the church, other relationships outside the church, other mentors and people she has coached all of that and not necessarily a program inside the church. Now my two, my next two, dude, they love the student ministry out of Fred. Their yep. teams go out there, basketball teams, they, they enjoy it, they hang with their buddies, and it's a different situation, but they want to go. There's no fight with that. And so that's been our thing, is if it's ever because I have to, or because of my position, it's not a have to. And Rocky's been that place too for uh, my entire family. I mean, they look at Jen, and Jen obviously she works and she leads our basketball programs, but there's not the pastor's wife expectation that Jen has to be involved in everything or go to everything I go to. Mm-hmm. And all that has done with my wife and my kids is make them want to be more excited, more passionate about what they do and what I do. See, I thought pastor's wives were all supposed to play piano. <laughs> and that would really help me right now because we need keys players. You know, dude, so if yeah. you could require hey man, <laughs> I got to a, learn how I got to... a 12 year old is working on it. Okay. So he's, he's pretty pumped, man. He I think it. I've seen some videos and I am impressed. Dude, he loves it. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to require it. That's when your rules get to change. You, you are going to require it. <laughs> That's right. Whatever you tell me to do, man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've already talked about this a little bit, but maybe more specifically in the last few years, what have you learned about the role of vulnerability in leadership? Hmm. Man, I think vulnerability is the key to the depth of relationships and uh, probably even the depth of the influence. It's, it's funny. I, I, I've talked about it before, friends sitting down with me and saying, man, you're a little hard to get to know. And I've noticed since then, I've asked that question of how and why, and I've talked to other people, talked to my counselor about that, talked to mentors about that. And the thing that I have noticed more is the more real you are with vulnerability, because there's you know, mm. there's people who um, are trying to be vulnerable just to manipulate things or whatever. But when you just let people in and you're vulnerable and, and realize we don't all have it together yeah. and you share so that we can learn together, man, relationships take a, they take it a, a step deeper. And, um, and I think that's, that's what I've learned. Now, um, I've also learned too that there, you can't be vulnerable with everyone. Like maybe there's transparency yeah. um, with people. You want to be transparent. You want to be honest with everyone. Mm-hmm. You want to be transparent. But there's a side to you that um, true vulnerability 
probably needs to be held for the right places. Yeah. And so if I'm teaching on a Sunday and I'm going to be transparent and I'm going to talk and people will say, man, when you're vulnerable, I'm being vulnerable in a sense. I'm being transparent with people of what's going on or what I experienced. But man, true vulnerability to really get down to the depths of life, I think sometimes that's held for uh, deep friendships yeah. and uh, um, relationships where you're you're really going somewhere together in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense on that. Absolutely. But, but there's yeah. a point in which you can't just be walking around being vulnerable about every deep thing in your life with everybody. Sure. It's not healthy. It's never okay to be fake yes. and insincere and inauthentic, but there are those levels where you're not going to be on stage, you know, being so raw with everything you're you're thinking or feeling. Yep. That's going to be with your, your wife and, and close, close friends. Yeah. That makes sense. So a mentor of mine, and it's Alan, again, he'll mm-hmm. say, uh, you want to be honest with all, you want to be transparent with some, and you want to be vulnerable with a few. Yeah. And uh, and I think there's a level you can push that a little bit more transparent with all. Like in my, my role, I want to be transparent with people, and we're all on this journey together. There's a side of vulnerability. You need to have a few yeah. that you can be 100% vulnerable with. Yeah. And when you do, man, that's where relationships go to a place. It's like this is lifelong. These people will be there for, for me for anything kind of friends. Yeah. That's what we want. Okay, last one. And that's just to be helpful to people listening right now. How do you keep your head on straight when everything in our culture right now just seems to be like you just wait a day or two and something else crazy is happening? Something else even crazier than that. Something else even crazier than that. Uh, we've all heard people talk about it. We've experienced it ourselves that it just seems like everyone is just more and more anxious. Everyone is getting more and more depressed. And, you know, what is this world coming to? I wish we could get back to the good old days. That kind of thing. Mm. How do you personally keep your head on straight that you are able to remain peaceful, calm, even hopeful mm. to move forward? Mm. Um, I think you got to watch the voices you're listening to. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to be very intentional with that. I do have, when we talk about that vulnerability piece, man, I've... I've got uh, talk about my pastor's group a lot. Um, that is a group of vulnerable friends that are in the same thing together, and we are talking. And there's times where I say things that's some crazy thinking, and Scott or Trevor or Chris or Kyle or Jeremy or Chris will say, Sean, that's not right. Yeah. Come on. And so having people around me that help me um, stay on the straight and narrow is, is good. Um, I think the other thing, too, is um, – when I say voices, uh, listen to the right voices, there's a lot of people I notice right now that listen to one set of voices. Mm. And it's the set of voices that they agree with. And so um, I'll be honest on on one issue um, during my vacation this last uh, August. Um, I took one issue, and it's not something I'm preaching on. It's not something, but it's, it's, a, it's a big cultural issue. And uh, it's the race issue. Mm-hmm. I read three different books. And... Um, all three books are from a different perspective. And so one to one side, one to the other side, and one right in the middle. And it was so good to actually be able to sit down and go, okay, now I'm, I'm understanding a little bit more of the conversation. I'm understanding where people are coming from. I'm understanding even the terms that are out there. And But I think when we sit back and we have this tendency to only listen to voices that agree with us, man, we can spin out all over the place mm-hmm. and get to a place of, because it, anything we hear that disagrees with that, we're saying that's wrong. That's right. evil. That's bad. That's, 
and we're at face value. It. Yeah, yeah, we're labeling it at face value. And so I, I think I've just tried to have the right voices around me, um, try to listen to multiple voices mm-hmm. so I understand the conversations and the heart behind. The, I don't have to agree with someone to know that that person may have a, a, a deep heart um, for this issue too. Well, it goes back to what you are saying earlier that it's, you're, not, you're, you're not focusing on agreement. Who do I agree with and who do I not? Yeah. By listening to those multiple voices, like you said, something maybe more left, something in the center, something right, those three positions are, are never really going to agree, right? They have those stances. Yep. But by reading or listening to all three, maybe you can understand better. Yes. And then maybe the hope would be like, we can find alignment. Yes. Like borrowing from what we were talking about before. Yeah. And learn. I'm, I'm, I'm learn to go, man, I, actually, this thing I'm thinking, I don't know if that's all in line. Right. That's right. And then I think the number one thing is you, you got to stay close to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just have to. Uh, I love the pursuit journal that our team's come out with um, that has been so good and just making sure that there is daily time um, to really, some people say you got to start your day with that. I just, I want to make sure I get it in. Yeah. I just want to make sure it happens. It's much better when I start my day with it, but even if I'm ending my day with it um, and reflecting, um, that's a big deal. So staying close to Jesus, but the other, the other side of that is I think even in that journal, it forces you to reflect mm-hmm. a little bit, and I don't think we do a, enough of that. So staying centered, being able to keep your head straight, I think we also need to, to do some reflection on how am I dealing with this? What are the feelings that I'm feeling right yeah. now? Even writing those things down, identifying those. Because uh, a lot of times we just run at a pace. You run at such a fast pace, you, you're in reaction mode. But when we force ourselves to reflect, um, to ponder on things, and to even write things down, man, it, it ident- God, the Holy Spirit has a, a tendency to identify things for us that we need to lean into. So good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I think, p- listeners right now, Hearing you answer these questions, have a better understanding that you are living, you're practicing what you're preaching. You're, you're living it out. And I know you would say, like, well, I'm not perfect. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that, that that's what you would say, and you're just being honest with that. However, as a staff member working along with you, the, your answers don't surprise me because mm-hmm. I do see you living it out. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, we need all the help we can get, you know, in our leadership, in our families, and just in our culture and society, day in and day out, I do hear a lot of hope in your voice. I do hear a lot of hope the way you live your life. Well, and before we before we end, I'd say this: we need we need all the help we can get. And I think people can look at sometimes and say, "Man, our world is so negative. It's so so." And there is a lot of negative and difficulty and disappointment out there. Yeah, but you know what? You look at any time period in history; there always has been. And I think one of the things faith brings into the gospel brings into is there's always an answer for it. And there's always a positive opportunity around the corner Mm. with God. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I said on the Rocky Weekly um, the other day that I heard a a pastor talking at a conference I was at, and he he made this statement. He said, you find what you're looking for. And this world right now is presenting a lot of disappointments for us. If you're looking for disappointment, you're going to find it. But if you're looking for opportunity, they're always there. Like Mm. God has them. Um, if they're not right in front of you, they're just around the corner. And so look for them and, and we'll find it. And I'm, you know, talk about keeping your head straight and keeping your heart right. I've been trying to tell myself constantly, man, there's opportunities and God's got something good around the corner. Right on. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, let's do that. Let's look <laughs> for the opportunity and let's look for hope. 
Yeah. Because if, if what you're saying, what you say is true, like we will find it. We will. That's awesome. Good stuff, man. It's thanks, Sean. hanging with you. Right on. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us on Rocky Unscripted. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to rocky.church slash this week. And no matter when you're listening, it'll always be up to date. We love to connect with you and love to serve you as much as we can. Please share the podcast, rate us, review us. That helps us be seen by more and more people. Love you guys. And we'll catch you next time.